guys here. Thanks for joining us today. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars, guys. We love you. Thanks for being a part of our services. Appreciate you guys being here. We are talking on family in this brand new series called Make Our Families Great Again. Thanks for joining us for this series. We're very excited about it. Pull out your notes if you would as you do that. Let's see our mission statement together. Our mission is to do what? It's to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks so much for coming out. And so appreciate you guys being a part of this service. I got to be honest with you, I hate talking on family. And the reason I hate talking on family is because every time I do, everything falls apart in my own family. How many of you guys can relate to that, right? You're like, man. And so I know the devil is wanting to attack this whole message series. And so I happen to have amazing kids, an amazing wife. But it's just like all of a sudden we're getting attacked every which way there is. We're going to be fine, but I don't, I don't want to make it sound like there's some huge issue. But the point is, is that I know that the devil doesn't want me delivering this message to you because he doesn't want me preaching it. Does that make sense? And so, but God has something for you today. I'm so excited that you're here because I believe the devil's after all of our families. The devil's after all of our marriages, all of our kids. And so you got to know that you're in a battle for your family. So I'm so glad you guys have joined us for this brand new series. Thanks again for being here. Heard about this uh, lady. Uh, she was uh, an older lady and she went to the doctor for a checkup. And uh, at the end of the checkup, she said, hey, doctor, you know, I, I really... I, I just, I need to talk to you about something. My, my husband, he's a little older now, I'm older now, but I still have needs, you know, and I just really need something like a spark in our marriage. I mean, it just feels like, I mean, we haven't really honestly been intimate in years, and he won't even touch me now, and it's just, you know, I really feel like we just need something to get going. Is there anything you'd recommend? And he said, well, you know, actually, yes, um, I'd probably recommend some Viagra. You know, would you consider maybe taking, and, he was, and, and she said, you know, I just know him. He's so prideful. There's no way he's not going to do that. There's just no way. And so he said, all right, here's the deal. Well, I'll give you a couple of samples and just crush them up and just secretly put them in his drink, okay? Trust me, it'll work, right? And so, you know, she's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try it. You know, so she comes back about a month later. And uh, just for regular checkup, you know, and, and, and uh, as she's talking to the doctor, she, the doctor says, hey, by the way, how'd it go with your husband? And she says, oh, it was horrible. And he's like, oh, it didn't work? Wow. And he goes, oh, no, no, it worked great. But it's just, it was just so bad. And he, he was like, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Explain to me. She said, well, so the next night, you know, after you gave me that, you know, I, I'm sitting there having dinner with my husband. And as soon as he turned away, wasn't looking, I took one of the pills, maybe two, and crunched them up and put them in his drink. Next thing you know, he looks at me five minutes later after drinking that drink, gets so excited, he, he jumps up, clears the table, throws me down on the table, and makes mad, passionate love with me right there on the spot. Honestly, doctor, it's the best sex we've had in 25 years. He goes, what's the problem? She said, are you kidding me? I can't even show my face at McDonald's ever again. <laughs> so it's true, God does want to turn your marriage around. Well, let's be appropriate, people, Okay. You know, the reason I want to talk about marriage first, let me tell you why I want to do that. I want to talk about marriage first because it's the building block of your family. If the marriage is not going well, you can't expect it to go well with the family. And so God began our families with a relationship. And we've got to keep that relationship going, stoke the fires of that relationship if you want it to go well in your entire family. So let's talk about how to turn your marriage around immediately. And I mean immediately. And so you think, oh, there's no way you can deliver on that promise faster. There's no way it can turn, be turned around immediately. Actually, it can. The Bible is very clear on this, how we can immediately turn things around. It's actually possible. And so I want to give you guys a four simple step process 
to immediately turning things around in your marriage. And the reason why I want to talk about this in particular is because most of us, what happens when things break down in our relationships is conflict. Conflict is what creates problems in your marriage, is what creates problems with your kids, it's what creates problems in, in strife in a marriage and in a family where, frankly, if, if you don't take care of conflict, you won't stay married long. And if you don't deal with conflict effectively in your family, your family will go from being a fun place to be to being a place you're trying to avoid. God doesn't want it that way. He wants your marriage to be exciting. He wants your family to be exciting, to be a place you want to be, a place filled with joy. And so if that's the kind of marriage and family you want, then these principles apply. You've got to learn to deal with conflict resolution. So let's talk about that today. So pull out your notes if you would. Let me give you a four-step process and how you can immediately turn your marriage around. Look at James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So we've got to be quick to listen. But what are we normally quick to do? We're quick to talk, right? We're quick to speak rather than being quick to listen. Look at another translation. It says this, it's best to listen much, speak little, and not become angry. So it says, be quick to listen and also listen a lot, a lot more than you're talking. You know, God gave us one mouth and two ears. Use them proportionately. So we should be listening more than we are doing the talking. Look at Proverbs 18.2. It says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Do not be a fool, right? The Bible says fools just want to talk. They just want to just spout off at the mouth whatever they think. But you've got to be listening to what the other person thinks. You know, oftentimes in relationships, we start off talking with each other. Then we begin to, when that breaks down, talk at each other. And eventually, we start talking about each other to other people. And that's when things completely unravel. So the highest level of communication, though, is not talking at all. The highest level of communication, this is what I'm going to challenge you to do. Number one, start by using the highest form of communication, listening. If you will begin to listen to your spouse, you'll learn what you need to do to turn things around. If you'll begin to listen to your kids... And if your kids will listen to you, if everyone listens to each other, then you can actually get some change going on in the right direction in your family. Listening is the key. In fact, the moment you quit listening is the moment you quit growing. Let me say that again. The moment you quit listening is the moment you quit growing. You quit listening to your spouse, you're going to quit growing closer together. You quit listening to your parents, students, you're going to quit growing in your maturity. Did you know that? Parents, you quit listening to your kids. You're going to quit growing close to them. If you quit listening to God, you're not going to grow close to the Lord. If you quit listening to your boss, your career's done. If you quit listening to the customer, your business is done. Listening is the key to everything. We've got to learn to listen to one another. Husbands, try this. Go home and say, honey, how can I be a better husband? And just listen. I promise you, she'll have something to say. <laughs> just listen, right? Wives say, honey, how can I be a better wife? He'll have something to say. The bottom line is if we just listen to one another, you'll learn a lot from each other. We've got to become good listeners. And listen, most people listen to respond. We need to be listening for comprehension. I should be listening to you to comprehend how you feel and what you think, not listening so that I can hurry up and get you to quit talking so I can start talking. Many times we're listening, just kind of waiting, just like, okay, just, just, just pause for a second so I can jump in rather than actually listening to what the other person is actually saying. Heard about the wife, she's talking to her husband. She said, you know, honey, our new neighbors, I watch every morning as he's leaving the house, he always kisses his wife goodbye. I mean, they always kiss right before he leaves work. Why can't you do that? He said, I can't do that. I don't even know the woman. That's just going to be weird. What are we talking about? <laughs> you got to listen. We got to listen to what the other person is trying to communicate 
rather than just what they're saying, but actually listen for comprehension, really understand what they are saying. So listening is the first step in immediately turning your marriage around. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so okay, so let's create the setting here. So they're in church, okay? So worship has happened. They've listened to the message. Now it's offering time. So it says what? It says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, it says, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now you may be thinking, okay, what does the offering have to do with all this about having good relationships? Let me explain this. Okay. In the Old New Testament, every time God showed up, whether they, you were in the temple to, to, to experience God's presence or whether you were at a burning bush like Moses was or you're David, you're in the middle of the wilderness and you, you need to worship the Lord, right? Or, you know, whoever, you're Nehemiah and an angel shows up. However God, you know, meets you, over and over again, you see that they would hear from God, they would worship the Lord, and then they would close out the worship time at some point with an offering. They would, in other words, the offering represents the completion of your worship that day. You say, Lord, I want to complete my worship by giving to you. The Bible's very clear on that. Now, so for it to say, leave your offering and go get right, what God's saying is, your worship is not complete with God if you're not right with someone. Wow. God's saying, don't even pretend to be in a relationship with the Lord. Don't even, don't even talk about your Christianity if you're a jerk at home. Don't even go there. God's like, don't even, go, don't even lift your arms to me. Don't even pray to me. Don't even open the Bible and spend time with me if you're going to be a punk jerk to your wife, if you're going to be a jerk to your husband, if you're going to be disconnected from your parents, if you're going to be a jerk as a, as a husband or a father or a wife or as a mother or as a, a daughter or, or son. God's saying, if your relationships aren't right at home, then you're just kidding yourself trying to act like we're all good in your relationship with the Lord. Wow. Pretty strong. God's saying, if you're for real about your faith with me, then you've got to be for real about your love for one another. It's really strong. He says, just leave your gift at the altar. Now, as a pastor, I really appreciate the fact you said, no, no, leave your gift there. No, I like that. I like the fact he says it. <laughs> what he's actually saying is, he's saying, your worship is just not going to be there. You're not really going to experience the closeness that you want with God if you're not right with your spouse, if you're not right with your kids, if you're not right with one another, if you're not right with your friends and your family. God's saying, you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right with other people if you're going to get it right with me. That's how big of a deal this is. Look what James chapter 5, 16 says. It says, confess your faults, not the other person's faults. Did you catch that? Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God doesn't say that I'm supposed to confess my wife's faults or she's supposed to confess my faults. I'm supposed to confess my faults to my wife. So, you know, one of the reasons why we fight is because we're too busy pointing the finger at each other, right? You're saying, you always do this and you never, first of all, you always and you never are never right. That's too extreme. No one's always this way. No one's never that way, right? And so that's how we know we've just ramped up the hyperbole to where it's just like, you know, you're just, you're just throwing out words and just, it's ratcheting up the anger. You're not going to get anywhere doing that. But you want to change everything instead of going, you always, you never, you, why don't you just say, hey, before we start talking about this, I just want to point out where I'm wrong. Then they'll be like, what? <laughs> it's very off-putting when someone just openly admits where they're wrong. Wow, I did not expect that. Because if you keep accusing and coming at them, then what's the natural response to that? They come right back at you. But if you point the finger inward and say, I want you to know where I'm wrong and where I messed up and where, where I need to, to get something right. 
then guess what their next reaction, natural reaction is to do? Same thing. Once they trust it, once they know you're not manipulating it, then the natural thing is to say, well, here's where I'm wrong. It changes the game. It changes the whole relationship. The whole dynamic changes at that moment. So you start by using the highest form of communication, which is listening. And the second thing you do is you start by saying the highest emotional connecting words, which are not what you think they are. People think the highest emotional connecting words are, I love you. It's not, because I can say I love you to a Snickers bar, which I often do. <laughs> no, the highest form of emotional connecting words actually is, I'm sorry. There is nothing more powerful you can say to another human being than, I'm sorry. Now, some of you right now are thinking, well, I said I'm sorry. She or he just won't forgive me. Well, does your sorry fit the crime? It could be that you did something pretty horrible and pretty distrusting, and so you just show up and go, sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know why they won't forgive me. Well, well, but, but if you were dishonest for a long period of time, or you were very hurtful or very offensive for a long period of time, and then you just throw out an I'm sorry, it doesn't quite work like that. At that point, you need to be sorry for a season. So the next day you wake up and you say, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry today too. And the day after that, I'm still sorry. And a week later, I want you to know I'm still sorry for what I did. And over time, at some point in time, they'll accept it. But sometimes it takes time. It just depends on what, what's going on. It depends on what the offense is. But you can't expect to drop a bomb on someone's life and just walk in and go, sorry. I mean, there's some serious shrapnel all over that person. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take some healing. But a sincere I'm sorry makes all the difference. Now, now the key here is sincere, too. Don't just show up and go, well, I'm sorry. Does that sound sorry? Does it look sorry? No. Right? Or, I'm sorry, but you, blah, 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 blah. No, no, just, just I'm sorry is, that's it. That's where you put the period. I, I'm just sorry. I was wrong. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I was thinking when I said this or did that, and I'm just really sorry. I blew it. You see, it's just, we're so uncomfortable with that, but if you get comfortable with it, you can have a lasting relationship. If you can never say, I'm sorry, you need to know you're setting yourself up for divorce. Because as long as we're humans and you're trying to stay committed to someone for life, you're going to have to learn to say, I'm sorry. Or you're not going to be a good relationship with other people. I'm sorry is the most powerful words you can ever say to someone if they're sincere. To really be sorry is a game changer. Tell someone that you're really sorry. Maybe that's what you got to do today. Just go home and just say, I, I've been blowing it. I've been a bad husband or bad wife. I've been a terrible father, a terrible mother. And I'm just sorry. I've been, I've been a, you know, just a disobedient kid. or I don't know, maybe you've been a bad brother or sister. I don't know what it is, but you just say, you know what, I just, I've been a bad friend. I'm, I'm really sorry. You deserve better than this. It's a game changer. It really is. Before we go on in this message, I want to encourage you to be here next week as I talk about kids. Really excited about next week's message, but I gotta be honest with you, it is hard to talk about kids when you got teenagers. And so I'm gonna be talking next week not as an authority, I'm gonna be talking as a fellow struggler. And so I, I did, I'm just gonna just, just be truthful with you. I struggle with this as a dad. I'm really excited about next week's message. Do not miss it. Next week's message is called Help My Kids Are Driving Me Crazy. <laughs> now I know you can't relate to that, but just come take notes for someone else. <laughs> next week's message, Help 
My kids are driving me crazy. Do not miss next week, because if you've got a two-year-old or a 20-year-old, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Because they both know the word no, right? And so be sure to be here for this message. I'm very excited about this. In fact, bring your kids with you, please, because it's good for them to hear the, the role that they play in this, too. It's not just for the parents. It's not, also not just for the kids. It's for both. It's a big deal. And I really believe we can help you. If your kids are driving you crazy, this message can really help you. Don't miss next week. My mother will be here, so you know maybe I can quit driving her crazy. So be sure to be here next week. Help. My kids are driving me crazy. Now, maybe right now you have a little sore on the side because someone's been elbowing you, elbowing you this whole message, right? You know, as soon as I said, you know, you got to learn to listen, you know, then someone's wife or husband just went, mm, that's you, mm, right? And so you're like, ow, okay, I got it. I, heard, I can hear the message, okay? Right? So maybe you have a little, little spot right here, you know? And then I talk about, then you got to learn to say, I'm sorry, and then, ooh, then the second shot comes. You're like, oh, I'm getting bruised up here, right? Okay, well, on this next one, you get to elbow back, all right? Because I've noticed that everyone who says, you need to be listening to me, and you need to say you're sorry, that this is where the sermon comes in for them. Okay, so maybe this one's for you. So here's the next step. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't say love covers a sin. It says love covers a multitude of sins. So apparently God knew if we're really going to love one another, we're going to have to learn to overlook a lot of stuff if we're going to really love one another. If you're going to be in a relationship for a long time, you have to learn to cover up a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses, a multitude of times that your spouse misses the mark. That's, that's just part of being in relationship. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, love is patient, love is kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Have you been keeping a record of wrongs? It says it keeps no record of wrongs. I just saw the elbows fly the other way on this one. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, always trust does not mean that everything that someone does is trustworthy. But we have to extend trust again if we want to continue in a relationship with someone. If you quit trusting someone completely, then you're out of relationship with them. So you got to be willing to say, you know what? Trust has been broken. I've been offended, but I'm going to choose today to begin to rebuild trust. And it starts one day at a time. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God, in Christ God forgave you. Number three, offer the highest gift you can ever give someone, forgiveness. There is no greater gift than you can ever give than the gift that Jesus gave us when he forgave us. And so you are no more like God than ever than when you forgive someone. That's the most godlike quality you can ever have, is to say, you know what? You did offend me, and frankly, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to forgive you anyways. In the same way, did Jesus forgive us when we deserved it? We still don't deserve it. Did Jesus forgive us when we asked for it? No, he died on the cross before we were even born. So he forgave us for sins he knew we'd commit. So we have to be willing to forgive people even when they don't deserve it, and frankly, even when they don't ask, which is a tough thing to do. We have to be willing to forgive someone. You say, well, I can forgive him or her for everything but this one thing. So you take that one little brick of unforgiveness and you put it down. And then a few weeks later, all of a sudden they offend you some other way. And, or maybe you start thinking about that one thing that you just won't forgive them for. And it reminds you of other things that you're mad at them about. And then you put another brick of unforgiveness down. And another brick. Eventually, over a couple of years, you got a little wall built up. And eventually, you got that wall gets so high that you just turn to one another and turn to each other and say, you know what? We just don't love each other anymore. We just fell out of love. You didn't fall out of love. 
you ignored the first brick. And it turned into two bricks and three bricks and four. And eventually you feel like you don't know each other. And then we all tell each other, oh, we're just not compatible. That's ridiculous. You know what marriage is? Marriage is two incompatible people choosing to be compatible. That's what marriage is. You, 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 don't, you don't fall in love just because we just get along perfectly. Oh, we're just alike, you know? That's just not true. I mean, believe me, I've been praying for the day when my wife finally just becomes just like me, then we'll be fine. <laughs> the truth is we're different people. There's nothing wrong with that. If two of you are exactly alike, one of you is unnecessary. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to complement each other, not compete. But you are going to be different. But unforgiveness will eat your marriage and family alive. You've got to learn to forgive one another and move forward. There is no moving forward if you don't forgive one another. So the greatest gift you can give someone is simply to forgive them. It's not easy to do it. I know that. You say, well, but I'm so unhappy. I don't want to forgive him. Who told you marriage is supposed to make you happy? It's supposed to make you holy. Here's the truth. You can be happy in marriage, but if your goal is happiness, you never will be happy. If your goal is holiness, the offset of that is actually not happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance. That's really based upon your circumstances, and your circumstances are going to be good and bad, depending upon the day. Instead, you've got to choose joy. Joy is an internal thing where you say, Lord, I may be going through some stuff, but I find joy in you. Here's the truth. If I try to find happiness for my spouse, I'll always be unhappy. If my wife tries to find happiness for me, boy, she's going to be in bad shape because I may be an all right husband, but I'm a lousy Jesus. Our happiness comes from the Lord, not from one another. And if you'll find your, your happiness in Christ, then out of the overflow of that love, you can love someone unconditionally. That's how it's supposed to work. Does that make sense? So, offer the highest gift you can ever give, which is forgiveness. Now, you may say, but, but you know what? Okay, so we talked, and we said we're sorry, and we forgave one another, and then the next day we fought again, and the next week we fought again, and we just keep going back to the cycle. If you're continuing to fight, it means someone's not changing. That's what that means. And I bet you're fighting about the same issue. You say, I don't know why we always fight about the same issue, because you keep doing the same thing. You keep doing the same thing and you keep fighting about the same thing. If you change what you're doing, the fight goes away. Look at the scripture on this. So how do you really change it? How do you break that cycle, right? Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So we should be pursuing peace. Romans 12, 18 says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So, oh man, we just keep fighting. We're just not getting along. It's just not working out. I've just, I keep trying. The Bible doesn't say keep trying. It says do all that you can. Well, I've been doing a bunch of stuff. Have you done all that you can? Well, I did this and it didn't work. And I did that. Have you done all that you can? Well, I mean, I haven't done that, but I've done, no, no, no. no. You, what have you not done? Then you haven't done all that you can. There's no out on this verse. Do all that you can. Well, what if I think what I need to do is unreasonable? Do it. Be unreasonable. Do all that you can. The onus is on us to do everything we possibly can to be at peace with everyone. Wow, that's going a long way, isn't it? That's how far we're supposed to go to get along with one another. It says in Hebrews 12, 14, work at living in peace with, with everyone. Apparently, it's work. If you're going to be in relationship with someone your whole life, it's going to be work. If you're going to have a good relationship with your mother, you're going to be working your whole life to have that. And your father and your spouse 
and your kids and your cousins and your nephews and your boss and your boss. You name the relationship. If you're going to be in that relationship long term, it's going to take work. I don't care what the relationship, you name it. It's going to take work to stay in that relationship long term. Psalms 34, 14 says, turn from all known sin and spend your time in doing good. Now, I love this verse. This is very powerful. It says, basically, whatever you're doing, whatever sin, sin just means missing the mark. Whatever you're doing that's offending the other person, turn from it. Then what does it say? Then spend your time doing good. You need a replacement activity for what you've been doing that's been offending your spouse. Well, I always do this. Then quit doing that and replace it with something else. If you just quit doing it, there's a void in your life and you'll end up falling back in the old habit. You got to replace your old habit with a new habit. Did you catch that? So if something is offending your spouse, my spouse gets offended because I'm on the computer way too late at night. Well, then if you're going to be up late at night, find a replacement habit to do something late at night instead of doing that that offends them, right? Well, my, my husband and wife gets mad because I go hang out with this person. Well, then quit hanging out with that person and hang out with them instead, right? In other words, what's the replacement? What, if you're not going to do this thing bad anymore, what are you going to replace it with that's good? So turn from all known sin and spend your time doing good, doing, in doing something good. Try to live in peace with everyone. Work hard at it. What does this mean? Number four, create a peace plan. Create a plan that brings peace to your home. So you've had this fight. Now you've both listened to each other. You've apologized sincerely to one another. You've even forgiven one another. Now how do we not fall back into this whole thing again? This is where you say, okay, so we don't come back to this spot again since it was so painful. What do we need to do differently where we don't end up back here again? Now I want to say something that may bother you, but here's the truth on marriage, Okay. Let me give you some hard truth that people don't like to talk about, okay? Because we live in the world that's all about your rights, equal rights, my rights, I'm fighting for my rights, but here's the thing about marriage that you need to know. If you're going to be married for a long time, you've got to quit fighting for your own rights. That doesn't work in marriage, okay? Here's what I mean by this. It doesn't mean that you, that, that you have no opinion. I don't mean that. We're not talking about being walked on. We're not talking about that at all. But here's what it does mean. When you stood at an altar and said, I want to marry you, you said what? For richer or for what? in sickness and in health, for better or for right. And then what? Forsaking what? All others, right? But here's what may surprise you. Let me talk about forsaking. Forsaking means that you, you, you maybe you're in a fight with your spouse because you went out with a friend and you say, well, they're my best friend. I've been friends with them. I was friends with them before I even met my spouse. Well, you think there's a grandfather clause? Because <laughs> if you marry this person and this person doesn't like your friend, then you're no longer friends with them. Forsaking all others. Well, I, I got this job and my spouse doesn't like where I work because of one of the coworkers is real flirty and it's uncomfortable. Or, or, or the industry I'm in, I have to go to certain places and my spouse doesn't like it. Well, then change jobs. Ugh, that may cost me some money. Well, would you think divorce is cheap? <laughs> Forsaking all others. You may need to change industries, change jobs, quit hanging out with this person. Start hanging out with that person instead. In other words, it's going to cost you something. Or you may say, well, what they're asking me to do is totally unreasonable. I think it's ridiculous. Let me tell you another person you forgot about in forsaking all others. Sometimes you have to forsake yourself. You don't have to understand or agree with why they want you to quit doing this. If they want you to quit doing it, then quit doing it. Because you married them. Or admit that you placed an activity or a person over your marriage. Which one is it? Because it may come down to that. 
you either make this change or you're basically telling your spouse, I prioritize this over you. I prioritize this person over you, this relationship, this job, this industry. The Bible's pretty clear on this. We're supposed to forsake all others, including our own opinion at times. He's like, I don't want to just give up everything. I doubt your spouse is asking you to give up everything. It's probably just one or two things that's really costing everything. So you just probably have to just admit that this or that activity, this or that relationship, this or that place is really crushing your marriage. You've got to forsake it. And if you're willing to do that, then you can have a great marriage again. You can have a great relationship again. We have to create a peace plan, forsaking all others. Now, what I want to say next, in 2017, doesn't sound politically correct. What I'm going to say next may even come across as sexist, but I'm still going to say it because I believe it's biblically accurate. And so here's the truth. I want to talk to the men for a second across all of our campuses. Men, I want to tell you something. Ladies, I'm sorry this may offend you, but it's just the truth. Men, you are the leader of your home, whether you admit it or not. And how you're doing is how your marriage is doing. Because men have the largest influence in the home. Ladies, I'm not trying to discount you at all. I'm just trying to speak the truth that the Bible is very clear that men are supposed to lead their homes. But this doesn't mean you're the authoritarian over your wife or your kids. It means you're the person to lead in serving, lead in saying, I'm sorry, leading in coming to church, leading in serving everyone in the house, leading in putting Christ first in your life. That's the leadership we're talking about. So men, just the other night I was up almost the entire night praying, and God put this in my heart, to call you out. Because, men, your marriage is not going to turn around if you don't get involved. Your marriage is not going to become what you want it to be. I don't care how hard your wife tries. If you're not in, it's not going to work. But if, even if your wife is not in, but you're all in, it's almost guaranteed to work. Because that's how influential you are in your home, in your marriage, with your kids. Men are a game changer. You don't believe me? Look up the stats on fatherless homes. When are we going to finally realize that men are changing everything for the good or the bad? We need to get involved and be the man of God God calls to be. So I'm calling you out to rise up and begin to lead your home spiritually and put Jesus first in your life. So right now, on the spot across all of our campuses, I want to challenge you men to come forward and give your heart fully to Jesus at this altar, at the altar of the campus you're at, and say, Jesus, I'm doing this for my marriage. I'm fighting for my wife. I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for what's right. I refuse to let my home be sifted by the devil. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Right now, I'm calling you out. It's time to rise up and be the man of God in your home that he's calling you to be. We're going to fight for our kids, fight for our wives, and you begin the battle on your knees. That's where David began the battle. That's where Elijah began the battle. It's always on your knees. Men, it's time for us to be the man of God he's called us to be. Single men, where are you? Get your butt up here right now and put God first in your life. You don't have to have a wife to do that. You see, I'm not even married. How can I be the leader of my home? Because if you don't give your life to Christ first and be fully dedicated to him, then guess what? No woman wants to be with a guy who's about himself. Put the Lord first. Some of you are putting the Lord first in your life for a woman you've never even met yet. And you're already serving her by putting your heart before the Lord and saying, God, I want to be your man. I want to be a man of God. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to come to church and just act like I'm all spiritual. When I'm falling apart at home, I want to be a man of God.
We all study David. Oh, I want to I want to slay the giant. Well, you know what? You didn't realize David first slayed the big giant of selfishness when he was in the middle of nowhere watching sheep for his family, being ignored by his own father, and said, God, I'm going to serve you anyways. We all want to be Elijah who took on all the false prophets, but they constantly called Elijah a man of God. Can you be called a man of God? Man, are you honoring the Lord? Are you putting him first in your life? See, Pastor, I don't know how to lead my family spiritually. I don't know what that looks like. If you're down here, you just did. You just did. And ladies, the reason I excluded you in the last few minutes is because I wanted to give you a front row seat to what a man of God looks like. That's why. Men, a broken man is the strongest thing in the world. But a stubborn man is the weakest thing in the world. And when you are broken before God, saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix this. But I want a marriage that honors you. I want kids that honor you. God, that's the same message for all of us. Then honor me. Then be broken before the Lord so he can use you and your home to lead your spouse and your kids. It begins with us. I can't expect my wife to lead our home. I can't expect my kids to lead out spiritually if I'm not doing it. When things aren't going right in my home, I take responsibility for that. When it's broken, that means I'm broken. And the answer to that is to be broken before God. So God, change me from the inside out. Right now, across all of our campuses, God is moving in the hearts of men. Ladies, I hope you're praying for him right now. As they're praying, giving their heart to God, saying, God, I want you to do something in me. Change me from the inside out. Every man who's at all these altars right now across all of our campuses, I want to tell you something right now. Your head bowed, your eyes closed during this prayer time. Some of you came with a lot of guilt and shame for things you've said and done. I understand that. We've got some great news for you today. The Bible's pretty clear on this. In Lamentations 3.23, it says that his mercies are new every day. Which means that today as you come to this altar, you can leave your guilt and your shame of what you've said and done in the past here at the altar. Jesus dying on the cross was enough for your sin and for mine. And so in a few moments when we get up, leave the sin and shame and guilt at the altar and go back to your seats in a few moments as a new man. If you want your marriage to be different, you got to be different. It's always about us leading by first being on our knees. Leadership. Is not about lording over anybody. It's about being the first to serve. It's about being the first to say, I'm sorry. It's about being the first to forgive. It's about taking the leadership and saying, I screwed up. I admit it. And I want God to change me. Every head bowed, every eye closed across all of our campuses right now. Men, if you're not broken before God, and I hate to break it to you, you're breaking your wife. You're breaking your kids if you're not broken before God. It's breaking them. But if you'll be broken before the Lord, He'll use your brokenness to heal them. He'll use your brokenness to heal your kids. It's one way or the other. If you're stubborn, it breaks your wives. It breaks your kids. It breaks their will. 
but if you'll be broken before the Lord and say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle it. I don't know how to be that kind of man. I don't know how to be a father and a husband. Jesus says, I do. I do. I do know how to be a father and a husband. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And Jesus gave his life for the church, for you and me. Man, we have a calling in our lives to give our very lives for our wives, for our children. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Just say, Lord, change me. Help me, Lord, to be that man that my wife deserves. Help me to be the kind of man that my kids deserve. Help me, Lord, to put you first. I'm broken before you. I've tried other stuff. It didn't work. I'm just going to try you. God, I know you work. Change me, Lord. Forgive me for where I've messed up. Forgive me for how I screwed this whole thing up. And I leave that sin at this altar today. And in a few moments, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back a new man. A different man. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ladies, I need to tell you something. Don't you make this about performance when he goes back to his seat and expecting to be the Pope going home with you. That's not fair. That's not fair. He's admitting to God he doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying. You need to give him the grace to try. You need to give him the grace to say he's doing everything he can. So what I see right now is a demonstration of brokenness. You have to be willing to receive that for what it is. He doesn't have it all figured out. But he's doing what he can. Pray for him. Lift him up. Encourage him. And then follow as they're broken for the Lord. You'll be broken before the Lord too. Every head bowed, every close across all of our campuses. We take a moment to pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can receive him right now. I'm praying this very simple prayer. We're going to pray it out loud together across all of our campuses. You can just pray this with me. You can say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving the greatest gift, the gift of forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my heart because I believe you died and rose again. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I will now follow you. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just prayed that prayer, then Christ has come in your life. One last thing, man, I want to pray for you. All these men who are broken in this room and across all of our campuses right now, God's doing something new and fresh right now in our church. And a dead giveaway to me that God is moving is because God's been attacking you. Excuse me, Satan's been attacking you because God knows he's got something big for you. God has something huge for you, so the devil attacks, and when he attacks you, that's a sign he's scared of you because he knows the influence you have, men. That's what that is. You're getting double teamed, man, you're good. The enemy only double teams key players. So when you're getting attacked on more than one front, congratulations, you got something big in you. God has big plans for you. Begin to dream that dream of what God wants to do in your marriage and your family right now. He's renewing you so he can renew your marriage, so he can renew your kids. Lord, thank you, God, for these men who have have been broken before you, God. Thank you, Lord, for their willingness, their humility to say, God, we want you first in our lives. We want to be men of God. Lord, thank you, God, that you have forgiven us, washed us new in your grace. 
And Lord, as we get up in a few moments, we will go back to our seats as different men. Men who are holy, set before you to honor you and to start a new day in our marriages and our families. Thank you for these men who are putting you first. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we just give these men a hand right now all of our campuses for putting God first? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Praise God.